0: Okay, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about a few questions that came up after my original interview with the Malinois owner. So that is uh, one of the one of the episodes that I did um, back uh, back some episodes ago. I want to say it was episode six, first time Malinois owner. Where i did a phone consultation with this guy and i answered some of his questions which were very very um, relatable to what a lot of people go through so in this episode i'm going to be addressing some additional questions he had that we didn't have time to go over during that interview during that consultation the reason being that consultation went into way over an hour it went into like an hour and 30 minutes something like that which uh you know obviously i want to keep them uh as short as i as i can but at the same time provide as much value as i can Uh, being a phone consultation this did take a little bit longer but anyway let me get back to the point here after that consultation he got back to me and he's like hey you know I still have have a few questions that I would like to get answered and I was like hey, yeah just shoot me the questions and I'll go over them so let's keep in mind too as I as I read these questions as I answer them keep in mind that some of these questions might seem very very clear and like no brainer type of questions to some of you who have experience, some of you who have been working with dogs for a while but These are good questions for an average person who maybe doesn't have a whole lot of experience with dogs, let alone working dogs. And from what I know, this is his first working dog. So I'm gonna get right to it, okay? Now if you think of an average pet owner, an average pet owner does minimal training. I'm not saying that's the type of person he is, But prior to this working dog that he now has, the type of dogs that he had in the past probably didn't require a whole lot of training. Definitely some training, but not as much compared to the type of dog he has. So again, keep that in mind, okay? So one of his questions here is, how much food should she be eating per day on average this might seem like a very very simple question and some of you are probably thinking how do you not know that but keep in mind this is a working dog this this is not a puppy this is you know this is not an eight-week-old puppy this is a working dog that is about a year old now you might think well a working dog is just a dog and yes but some working dogs, especially, I've noticed this with males, especially. I've seen it with females too, but I've definitely noticed it with males. Now, this is a female, but it could still be the case. I have noticed with males, a lot of times, right around between the age of about eight, nine months of age to about two years of age, the appetite can increase dramatically it's like the metabolism just speeds right up and and they just burn calories so fast i went through this with my dog and between the year of roughly about a year to about 2 years of age it's like he had an insatiable appetite and he was eating a lot of food he was still lean and strong but he had um, you know he would burn his calories faster, which meant that uh that if as i was as he was growing as he was progressing and his and his and his appetite increased and and it seemed like he was um not losing weight but but he definitely got leaner i uh, increased the amount of food that he was consuming to a point where it was definitely a lot of food but obviously he was working see he was burning those calories he was working and training and I train my dogs especially my working dogs every single day right so he was getting three sessions per day um, you know just fun stuff for him a lot of prey driven exercises that involved a toy a ball a tug and definitely food as well but this dog was very very energetic and very very uh, fast metabolism so his food his caloric intake went up during that period of time and after about two years roughly two two and a half his metabolism slowed down a little bit and then he started eating a little bit less so now he's six years old and he is significantly less than what he was eating when he was about two six years old his metabolism has has slowed down some so he's not you know he's not fat or anything but it takes less food to keep him to maintain him at a healthy weight now with dogs in general this can happen too but I have noticed it more so with working dogs and if you think well maybe the dog had parasite maybe the dog maybe something was wrong with the dog that is not always the case he was checked out He was fine. It's just the metabolism on a working dog sometimes can get very, very, um, it can speed up quite a bit for a period of time. So how much food should he be feeding his dog um, daily on average? Now, if you are using kibble, which more than likely he is, if it's a good quality kibble, you know, Go a little bit into that too, just a hair. I'm not. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist. So I'm gonna give just some basic information here. But if you have good quality dog food that is very nutrient dense, you can actually give them a little bit less than dog food or kibble that has a lot of fillers. So those are things to kind of keep in mind. I don't know what he feeds his dogs. So for Let's just assume it's it's a it's a it's a decent quality kibble okay so if this was my dog at about a year of age, also depending on how much the dog weighs, I would start for about a year old, year old working dog roughly i mean and i'm and I'm calculating the weight is maybe between like 35 pounds to you know maybe 50 60 pounds it could be anywhere in that range for a female malinois at roughly about a year of age you know on the 35 pound more of a pocket mal to like a 60 pound like an average medium size mal. females tend to be a little bit smaller so you also have to take that into account so roughly, maybe about three cups per day um you know, if she's on the smaller side uh maybe maybe even up to f- four or five cups a day, if the metabolism is pretty high, and this dog is burning calories pretty quickly, and it's and it's fairly lean already, of course, this is just kind of a uh this is just kind of a a broad answer to that broad question being that i don't know the dog i don't have the dog in front of me so this is one of those answers you kind of have to gauge based on what works for your dog okay next question is do you prefer to train with kibble or treats this is a very common question this is actually a good question for anybody not just for Uh, You know, not just for your average pet person. This is something that dog trainers also kind of go through. The topic of kibble versus treats for training, this can be a lengthy topic in itself, so I'm going to very briefly try to summarize what's happening here. You You could use treats for training, you could also use kibble for training. They both have different values. Okay, A dog can certainly work for treats. They, they love treats, depending on what kind of treats you're getting. But a dog could also do quite well working with kibble. Now, we're talking about different values. Typically, treats will have a higher value than just kibble. Typically, depending on what kind of treats you're using. But normally, treats will have a higher value than kibble. So, I could do both. But if I had to choose one over the other, personally, I like to use kibble. And here is why I like to use kibble. One, it keeps me accountable. What I mean by that is, when I was going through a lot of training, Now, my dog, Russ, six years old, he's more on on a maintenance mode. But first three years of his life, there was definitely constant, constant training. So he had to earn everything, right? So rather than just feeding him out of a bowl, I made sure that feeding time was training time. So I took advantage of the fact that I had to feed him. As a way of me saying well I also have to train him okay so obviously I am committed to not feeding him out of a food bowl and I want this dog to earn every piece of food he gets so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold myself accountable to ensuring this dog gets the training sessions that he needs to compensate um, not to compensate, but to account for the amount of food that he also needs to get on a daily basis. So doing that really helped me out um, as far as keeping me accountable. The thing with feeding out of a bowl or out of an interactive toy, is, I mean, that's nice. There's not a problem with that. If you're an average pet, that's what they do. But if it's my working dog or if it's my demo dog, if I feed my dog out of a bowl, just it just becomes easier to you know not do as many training sessions it really is it happens right you feed your dog out of a bowl and you go okay I'm gonna use treats for training then you have to take that into account in terms of the caloric intake for that dog and you go well he already ate uh, so now I have to wait a little bit for him to you know do a training session I have to squeeze that into my schedule I have to do my my training session. I'm going to use treats, but I have to also keep in mind that you know treats. I can only use so much. I don't depending on what kind of treats you're using. You don't want to just fill them up with treats, and then you also have to now keep in mind that he maybe needs another meal, depending on how many times a day you're feeding your dog. So I just find it easier to just go, hey, you know, dog, you're going to get. Three, four cups a day, depending on where they are, right Three, four cups a day, um, if I do one cup per training session, which that that's actually quite a bit. It doesn't even have to be I'll do like even half a cup per training session. I can squeeze more training sessions, shorter training sessions, but I can squeeze more of them. But even if I were to do one cup per training session, right, which I've done too. So one cup per training session, that automatically gives me four training sessions per day. So I know that for him to eat his daily rations, he's going to need four training sessions per day minimum, right? Or about four training sessions per day. So I like to use that. But if, if we're talking in terms of value, I have also used treats. I've also used very high-value treats for my dog. And when I'll do that is when um, maybe maybe the dog is getting a little bit stuck on a particular behavior that I'm teaching, or maybe uh, you know maybe I, I just want to use the high value treats as jackpots, so I'm going to use that as a, as a powerful motivator to to keep the dog super happy in the training sessions. Like it's almost like winning the lottery. So I have used treats. Uh, periodically but to me my personal preference is I like to use the kibble now it does have some disadvantages it is kibble those I'm not as thrilled about it but then I just tap into you know some of the uh strategies to make kibble more valuable right so and and by that I mean is I can withhold a meal and go okay I know kibble is not the greatest thing but if we skip one meal the next meal you probably love it a little bit more Uh, maybe we'll skip a couple of meals and then the next meet the next training session you're going to love it just a little bit more so those are things that you can use to kind of help and be a little bit more motivated for the kibble the other disadvantage about the kibble using kibble for for training for training sessions is depending on the size kibble that you have some kibbles are really small some are pretty decent size but it can be kind of a pain to hold it in your hand and reward your dog and a lot of times what ends up happening is you end up spilling some of your kibble now the dog is sniffing at the ground trying to pick up the crumbs so it can certainly be a hassle it can be a pain And, um, and and it's just one of those compromises right so I prefer to use my dog's food uh, some people feed raw, some people feed, you know, they prepare the dog's foods. Obviously, this is not one of those situations where you go, okay, yeah, I'm just going to use my dog's raw feeding as training. So in those instances, I would say definitely use treats. Another question, do you recommend table training at all for someone in, in our situation? So table training is normally something that is done with working dogs. Table training is something that is done with retriever dogs, something that is done with protection training as well. Table training, what it does for the trainer really is it just makes it just facilitates the training in a way that, that makes it more convenient for everybody. Right, so if I have the dog on a table, whether I'm doing protection training, if I'm doing change of positions, or if I'm doing retrieve, what's happening on the table is the dog is at a higher, you know, obviously it's, it's off the ground, so it makes it so that I don't have to be bent over quite as much, right? I don't have to be on my knees trying to work with this dog that is lower, um, or trying to bend over and then just—it's very doable, and I've done it but the table certainly does help, right? The other thing about the table is you can have the dog a little bit more on a fixed position, meaning, you know, on the ground, if you're doing a training session on the ground, they they can go left, right, and backwards. But if you're doing a training session on the table, now suddenly the dog is more fixed. So depending on the type of table setup that you have, you can set it up so that the table keeps the dog in one particular position um, and not really rotating, turning, backing up or going sideways or anything like that. Now the dog is just strictly focused directly on you. Now you can work on retrieve, change of positions, uh, bite work. So table training, it's a supplement. It is definitely a valuable tool. I would say you don't particularly need it. I know dog trainers that do use a table for a lot and I also know very good dog trainers, people I look up to that you know they will use them but they're they hardly use them. So I would say you don't need table training. It's nice to have, but if you don't have one, you don't actually need it. You can do a lot of it on you know on the ground there obviously are some benefits some really nice benefits to doing table training but you don't actually need it per se that's whether you're doing bite work or obedience retrieve anything like that okay next question is what type of games would you recommend we play right now to increase focus and possibly help the bite work but still keep it safe from creating bad habits or improper gripping. So one thing that I told this person during the consultation is, look, because he asked me, what can I do, you know, so that I don't have to rely on decoys as much. And I said, there's only so much you can do. And yes, you can play talk with the dog. You just have to make sure that, you know, it is enjoyable for you. It is enjoyable for your dog. And then maybe you're not creating any bad habits. But one thing that you definitely don't want to do is you don't want your dog to just chew on its tug, go to the corner, lay down, and just gnaw on its tug or, or on a rag or anything like that because that could create some bad habits, right? I'm not going to give my dog a, a puppy sleeve or a sleeve and just let it take him to the corner, let him take the, you know, the, the, the sleeve to the corner lay lay on the ground and just gnaw on the sleeve chew it with the side of its mouth i'm not going to let that happen at all even with a tug or even with a stuffed animal don't want to do that because there is the possibility however you know however unlikely which is actually very very likely there's that possibility that the dog can actually create bad habits or develop bad habits in that you know gnawing on that soft item or shaking it thrashing it Um, so I don't want to do that now what games can you play to increase the focus I'd say you could do you know you could do capturing of the uh, of the attention meaning capturing all capturing is when the dog offers a behavior that you like You mark it and you reward the dog. You let the dog know, hey, perfect. I want you to keep doing that. And you do that usually through marker training. So every time the dog looks at me, I will click, reward the dog, have a little bit of a game with him, play tug with him for a little bit, and then repeat the process. That is a game slash training session that will certainly increase focus. Um, Other things... Uh, restrained recalls are good too because they do they do increase focus on you and you know other training sessions that that are not very mechanical in nature you know like for instance capturing the attention capturing eye contact that's not very mechanical You're just kind of waiting for the dog to offer a behavior that is very common for dogs you're not working on a sit or on a down Um, I'm not saying you you shouldn't do that. You should definitely do that. But as far as quote-unquote games to increase focus, I wouldn't consider those games necessarily. Right, and another question, this is a really good question, is what's the maximum amount of time you allow a dog to wear a bar collar in a day? Now, I know this question can be quite loaded, because now we're talking about electronic collars, so what's the maximum amount of time that a dog can wear a bar collar? Now you, as the audience, as the listeners, might be having a couple of things going through your head. One could be, well, why does he need a bar collar? You know, or um, you know, why doesn't he just train the dog? Now that is certainly a, a topic for a different episode but for now if you do choose to have a bar collar or an electronic collar on your dog a really excellent question is how long should i leave it on the dog this is such a good question because a lot of people are not aware of this so when they get a bar collar or they get a containment system collar or they get a a a remote operated electronic collar they just put it on the dog and will just leave it there for like days and what they don't understand is for a bark collar or an electronic collar in general for it to work it needs to make contact with the skin which means the strap has to be snug so the collar has to be snug on the dog right it, it can be loose it has to be snug this means that these two contact points are going to be pressing against this against the skin which is not a big deal but if you start leaving it there for any amount of time past 12 hours now you are risking pressure sores and pressure sores are what get mistaken for burn marks, okay? I don't want to get too deep into this topic, but one very common misconception about e-collars is that it burns the dog's necks because there are pictures of dog's necks with two sores on their neck that look like burn marks. Now, those are not burn marks, What they are is they are pressure source, and they do happen with extended contact to an electronic collar because of the two contact points. So the magic number is right about 10 hours. Okay, about 10 hours, that's about the maximum amount of time, 12 hours actually. You can stretch out it a little bit, but twelve hours is the maximum amount of time that your dog should have a, a an electronic collar on. Okay, twelve hours—that's most of the most of the day, right there. I mean, you're not counting your sleeping time, but even in those twelve hours, right, you can still shift the collar back and forth. Let's say you have to keep the collar on for whatever reason. I'm not gonna get into why you would do this. But let's say for whatever reason, the dog had to have the collar on longer than 12 hours. When you're pushing 12 to 14 hours, you're definitely gonna start risking pressure sores. But let's say the dog has to be on it for maybe a longer period of time. Okay, and even with the 12 hour mark, this, this is still something that I recommend. And that is move the collar around, move the contact points around after about six hours or so. So if the electronic collar is on one side of the trachea, after about six hours or so, I can move it to the other side of the trachea so that that part of the neck has a break from these contact points, okay? So just remember, they don't actually burn the neck. Those sores are the result of prolonged contact without a break on the dog. So... To sum up the, the answer to that question, what's the maximum amount of time you allow a dog to wear an electronic collar per day, 12 hours, that is, right there is like the, num- the the window of time where you, sh- you know, after that you should take it off. Twelve to f- You can even squeeze 14 hours with some dogs, but absolutely nothing past 14 hours. 12 hours is already a lot. Um, and remember to kind of shift it back and forth if it is going to be there maybe even longer than 12 hours, okay? Uh, That would be the maximum amount of time that I will keep an electronic collar on a dog. Anyway, that's pretty much it. I'm going to wrap it up on that one. We kept it nice and short under 30 minutes. Remember to subscribe to this podcast. Um, Make sure you check out Instagram, Facebook, And YouTube at Dog Training is my passion. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. um, And I will see you guys in the next episode.